0: Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Thank
1: you everyone for joining today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I am your host, Saila Pratt, and today we have our special guest, Mark Willis. Mark is a certified financial planner, a three-time number one best-selling author, and the owner of Lake Grove Financial Services, a financial firm based in Chicago, Illinois. As a co-host of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Mark shares some of his strategies for investing in real estate, paying for college without going broke, and creating an income in retirement you will not outlive. Mark works with people who want to grow their wealth in ways that's safe and predictable to become their own source of financing and create tax-free income in retirement. So, Mark, thank you so much for coming on to the show today. We really appreciate you taking the time. So welcome.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me on.
1: So Mark, can you please share a little bit more about your background and how did you get started with real estate and also how did you get started with as a financial planner?
2: Well, thank you. It's been a wild ride for sure. I've worked with clients all across the country in business owners, real estate investors, even NFL Super Bowl champions. But most people I work with just want more control and a sense of certainty and agency over their future. And they've certainly come to me over Zoom or over the phone, and they'll say things like, Mark, I just don't know what the market's going to do tomorrow. I don't know if my renters are going to be paying me rent or if the government's going to come in and disrupt that. And they want more certainty that their financial plans are going to be met and even exceeded upon. So that's sort of the work I do. I started certainly way behind the starting line of the financial game. I was in six figures of student loan debt when I graduated in 2008, which was a great time to be looking for work. If you remember, nobody was hiring. (laughs) So (laughs) we had to find a great strategy for paying off our debt, but we didn't just want to be debt-free. My wife and I wanted to be better than debt-free. And so we went about finding strategies and solutions that helped us actually take advantage of our debt and help our financial future by turning our debt into real wealth all along the way. And now we've had the privilege for the last 11 years now of working with clients and helping set up their financial goals, whether it's debt payoff or real estate investing or other.
1: Wow. That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. Really, really relatable. Like when we graduated from college, we have a lot of student debts and can you share some of the strategies that you have implemented or have created with your clients, how they can get out of debt? First of all, any strategies?
2: Well, it comes down to the type of debt. You know, I believe in the power of good debt and you guys do a great job with in real estate investing with just understanding the distinction between good debt and bad debt. You don't mm-hmm. want debt that other people are not paying for you, for example. So one of my strategies is really just starting with the why. And then I'll come down to a more strategic and practical level. But let's start with the why. Why are we putting money anywhere? Why did we take that student loan in the first place or that credit card in the first place or that mortgage in the first place? And more importantly, too, what will our money do if we put it in box number one versus box number two? Let's take the labels off of money for a minute and just think about it in terms of functionality. Box number one might be called a 401k. But when you put money into a 401k, how does it act? It acts very different than if you put it into a savings account or a shoebox or a rental property or an annuity or a trust. So where you put your money makes it act different. And most people live their life, me included, when I was just stumbling into adulthood, we live our lives without really ever thinking about what do we want our money really doing for us? Mm -hmm. And so part of my journey into getting a CFP years ago was just saying, hey, I got to figure this thing out, this money thing. I'm like in a bad relationship with money and I need some more counseling. (laughs) So the CFP kind of provided that counseling for me. And I now kept track of it. and We looked at over 450 financial products where Mm. you could put your money. That's 450 boxes for where you could put your money. And then you can combine them together. So you got infinite combinations of places to park your money, no matter what you do. No wonder, the average person is confused about what to do with their money. So anyway, we wanted to pay off our debts. And our original strategy, Selah, was to just throw money at the problem. And we would just dump money every month. We'd dump extra cash on top of our minimum debt payments. And what that did was it gave us the sugar high of debt paying. Do you know what I mean? Like the sugar high where it feels for like 15 minutes, you feel great that you just paid all that money toward your debt. And then you get that empty feeling in your stomach that, oh, wow, I just lost thousands <laughs> of dollars into a hole. So we wanted a better way to pay off all of our debts. And uh, that's sort of what got us looking for better alternatives, ways to not just lose the wealth, but actually to gain wealth while we paid off our debt. And that was actually what led us to something known as Bank on Yourself. The Bank on Yourself concept was first introduced to me by a former college professor And he sat down in my living room and said, well, Mark, I know that you've got all this student loan debt. How are you paying it off? And I told him we were using the debt snowball method, where we would throw all of our money at uh, one of the debts at a time, Mm -hmm. keeping current on all the debts, but just throwing everything we could at one debt at a time, right? Maybe you heard of that. And he told me that that was good, but there would be a better way. And he told me what it was, and he called it bank on yourself. And what it is, it's a, of all things, say a lot, it's strange to even talk about this because as a CFP, it's not common for me to even talk about whole life insurance, but that's exactly what he discussed with me. He mentioned it was a modernized form of dividend paying whole life insurance, but not the kind that I had heard about before. Mm-hmm. The old fashioned whole life insurance really is riddled with commissions. There's a lot of insurance expenses. It's really not built this particular way. But if it's designed a specific way known as bank on yourself, the policy does a few things really well. And it ended up helping me pay off all of my student loan debt. And when I first heard this, though, I was like, how do you save money into life insurance? It just didn't compute to me, right? It was Mm -hmm. sort of like, how do you save money in your health insurance or your auto insurance or your fire insurance policy. It just didn't compute. But as I dug into it, it it really began to dawn on me what a beautiful thing it was. So you can get term insurance, which is like life insurance for a specific period of time. And that's okay. Or you can get cash value life insurance, which is sort of a way to save, pack away money. You still have a death benefit, but there's also an equity Mm -hmm. that you build up. And they call that cash value. Okay, That equity is the interesting part for me because when you have equity in whole life insurance, it does a few things really well. So I'll I'll give you three and then I'll pull over and ask for your thoughts and feedback and insights here. But the first is it grows every single year guaranteed. Guaranteed. That means contractually guaranteed my money and my policies will hit an all-time record high every single year for the rest of my life. Guaranteed. I don't know too many things in the financial universe that say that. That's pretty cool. And on top of the guarantee, if the company's profitable, they'll pack on some dividends on top of that guarantee each and every year that they're profitable, and they've never missed a dividend in over 100 years, the companies I typically recommend. So that's huge. I could stop right there because that's awesome, especially this year as the market's going nuts, right? We're losing hand over fist in the stock market as we record this at the end of 2022, Okay, so that was the first one. The second one is this money is accessible and liquid. So it's not just locked away like a 401k might be or a self-directed IRA might be. It's not locked away where I can't use it. I can access this money for any reason. I can use it for real estate investing as easily as I could use it for my kid's college or fixing up my own kitchen or buying a car. We're going to the casinos if I really wanted to, I guess it's liquid money. I can spend it any way I want to. I've, I've actually used it to go on vacations and whatever too, but we like to try to use it for investing. And mm-hmm. at first we used it to pay off all of our student loans. Now, some people say, well, Mark, why didn't you just save your money and just do the snowball thing? And my problem was I was losing all that money as I threw it down the hole of Sally May and Nelnet and all the student loan companies. I'd never see that money grow for me ever again. That was my problem. I saw the best dollars of my life going down an endless hole because when I spend a dollar, whether it's on a cup of coffee or a student loan or a car or anything, I lose that money forever, but I also lose whatever that dollar would have earned had I left the money to invest and earn interest for me, right? So if I buy a cup of coffee today for $3 or whatever... It would have been fifteen or twenty dollars if I had not bought that cup coffee and left it to invest. Does that concept,
1: yep, make that sense, makes right? sense, yeah, make sense?
2: All right. So that's even bigger deal when it comes to things like student loans and cars and other things too, right? So the third and final thing, and then I'm finally done. I'd love to get your thoughts on this. The third thing that this cash value allows me to do, and anyone who has one of these policies can do, is they can access the money, use it as collateral for a life insurance policy loan. You can borrow against it and you can spend cash to buy your houses, your rental properties, pay off your student loans, whatever it is. And yet the policy itself continues to grow and compound as if there was no loan. In other words, the policy continues to grow even on the capital we borrowed. If I've got $100,000 cash value and I borrow out $60,000 to go buy a rental property down payment, let's say, my policy that year will still give me compound growth and dividends on the full $100,000, even the sixty that I used to go buy the rental property. So to me, this beats paying cash. It's almost like my money is doing two things at once.
1: Wow. It's a lot to unwrap. Thank you so much for sharing that. And it's like, it's a win-win situation, in my opinion. So what you just described, like the three benefits of what you have used, the life insurance, right? So if I summarize correctly, one, you will get county return. So it can be 5%, 7% of your investment, right? Or whatever you put in. That's right. It's going to be
2: a very modest return. I would probably put it in the middle single digit returns. It's nothing Mm -hmm. fancy. We're not
1: looking to hit it out of the park with this thing. Right. And then second, it's liquid. So basically you want to access it. You can actually borrow it at any time Mm -hmm. and you can use it to do anything you want it to do. And the third benefit is that whatever you borrow, but your cash value remain the same. So the interest or the bonus or the dividends will be reflecting on the actual value that you have in your life insurance instead of what you have borrowed. So for example, you have $100,000, you took out $60,000, like it's not like you have $40,000 left, but mm-hmm. you still have $100,000. So how I'm trying to understand this concept What are the risks then and how come not a lot of people actually know about it and take advantage of it? I mean, uh, for example, can you use this scenario to describe how you use these situations to pay off your student loan? I know you understand the benefit, but I just need to understand how the number works in terms of take it out, paying it and can you describe that scenario?
2: Yeah, it's a, it sounds almost too good to be true, especially when I first heard it, because I was so steeped in kind of the average way of thinking. And I listened to Dave Ramsey on the radio every single day. So I just honestly, I thought my professor, who was just kindly coming to visit us, he had no, he's a professor at a college. He's not a financial planner or anything. So I figured, well, this guy's probably wrapped up in some sort of scam or something. I need to help my professor out of this problem. So at first, I was very skeptical about how this would work. Mm-hmm. And I did my own due diligence on it. And you know what really struck it for me was I knew how HELOCs worked. And maybe you and maybe a lot of your audience understands how this worked too. So let's say I've got a hundred thousand dollar house, just using a simple number here, Mm -hmm. and I have a sixty thousand dollar balance on my HELOC. I borrowed out the money against my house. Sixty thousand dollars is maybe it's in a car, maybe hopefully not. Maybe it's another rental property or something. Does my house only appreciate on the remaining $40,000? Or does it still appreciate on the full 100,000? Well, no, it still grows on the full 100,000, right? Zillow exactly. doesn't care if there's a HELOC on the property. It doesn't care if there's a mortgage. The house is still growing as if there is no debt on the property. We've used the house as collateral and we have a loan. Now, that's where the similarities... It's just how it works with a whole life policy loan if it's bank on yourself designed. Now, I will quickly add that many whole life policies are not designed this particular way and and they don't do what we're talking about here. And there's a lot of knockoff brands out there that call itself infinite this and family banking that it's not as advertised. If you don't get it bank on yourself designed, it may or may not work the way we're talking about. So with that, that's a risk. You asked what the risks are. If you get the wrong insurance company or the wrong insurance agent or the wrong financial planner to build this. It can mess things up. It's a lot like if you get the wrong elevator repairman to fix your elevator, you might end up on a downward collision with the earth. Right? right. Right. So you want to make sure these things are designed properly. Okay. So it's not unlike that though, but different than a HELOC, the whole life policy grows guaranteed. My house does not grow guaranteed. So I can be underwater with my house if I have a big HELOC on it or something. I can never be underwater with my life insurance policy loans. So that's a key fact number one. Key fact number two, HELOCs can be taken away from us. Banks are notorious for giving us money when we don't need it and then taking away money when we do need it. There's that old quote by Mark Twain. He says, a banker is a fellow who will lend you his umbrella when the sun shines, but wants it back as soon as it starts to rain. Mm-hmm. So a life insurance policy loan is embedded directly into your contract you have with this insurance company. They are disallowed from taking that right away from you. So it's hard-coded right into the contract. It's a unilateral contract and the insurance company cannot weasel their way out of it. You always have, you might say it's a guaranteed line of credit against this life insurance policy, nothing guaranteed about a HELOC. All right. Rates can change. Terms can change. They can Mm -hmm. freeze it. They can lower it. Yeah. So you get the picture there. And then the final thing is there's no required repayment plan on the life insurance loan. So if I was to borrow the 60000 against my life insurance and go buy a, a fix and flip, let's say, fix and flip property. And let's say the fix and flip, I thought it was going to be a six-month deal, but it ends up being three years. It's a terrible nightmare money pit. We've all been there, right? The policy does not require a repayment plan at all during your lifetime. If you never pay off the loan and you take that loan all the way to your grave, The life insurance death benefit is there to pay the loan off at that time. So if you've got a million dollar death benefit, the million dollars would be subtracted by the loan balance, and then the remainder would be paid out to your family, income tax-free. Got
1: it. So what is the collateral? So I'm trying to compare with the HELOC. So -hmm. the HELOC, the collateral is the actual property itself, right? Mm -hmm. What the collateral here?
2: In this case, it's your death benefit. Your death benefit your million dollar death benefit let's say you have a million dollar death benefit and you borrow out $60,000 and let's say I did that and I died tonight god forbid but let's say it happened no. <laughs> my family would get a million minus 60 which was 940,000 bucks and hopefully they would have gotten a new rental property that I had spent the money on that afternoon mm-hmm. as well so whatever I spent it on hopefully it was something worthwhile not just a night at the casino but they would get the full death benefit minus that loan balance Whenever I pass
1: away. So, to put it in perspective, how would the life insurance premium look like then? So, and the cash value itself. So, let's say I want a $1 million life insurance benefit, right? How would the premium look like? And how many percentage is my cash value on that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: That's a great question. And it will really come down to your age and your health. And honestly, I start at the other end of that conversation. Uh, So there's two ways we can have a conversation about life insurance. And again, I did not ever think as a CFP, I'd be talking about life insurance. So I didn't know this when I got into this, but you can either come into your regular life insurance agent's office and say, I want a million dollars of life insurance. And she or he will calculate what is your cost. Mm -hmm. And generally they'll offer you a term insurance quote And then you'll pick how long you want that term insurance to last. Well, as I found out, 99% of term insurance never pays a claim. And that's why the term insurance is so cheap. Because it's like free money to the insurance company. Mm -hmm. You know, a million dollars, if you're in your mid-30s, a million dollars in good health, million dollars of term insurance might be, I don't know, 50 bucks a month, maybe. I don't know. Depends on your age and other factors. A whole life insurance policy, it's altogether different. Instead of doing a million dollar death benefit, what if I could bring that death benefit down to 400,000 bucks? I want to squeeze that death benefit down as small as I can. And instead, I want to pump as much money into the policy as I possibly can. So it's a totally different way to think about how to handle life insurance. With term insurance, it's like renting an apartment. Term insurance is like renting an apartment. I don't earn any equity. The landlord will raise the rent on me as I get older. That the landlord is the life insurance company. It's good comparison. Uh, Yeah. And I can get kicked out if I drew my lease ends, but with whole life insurance, it's more like owning a home. And here's the thing. I build equity. The cost does not go up just like a mortgage doesn't get more expensive. And after the term is up, I own the whole thing. I own the house or in this case, the whole policy at uh, the age maturity. So what I would like to do, and I'll try to answer your question is instead of a million dollars of death benefit, I would like to start first with you. And I would say, let's learn more about you and let's learn what your goals are. Let's learn, does this thing even make sense for you? Maybe it Mm -hmm. doesn't. And what is your cash position like? And how is your cash flow? And how's your debt levels? And what are your concerns? And so forth and so on. We would have that conversation first. And at the end of that conversation, if this tool didn't make sense, we've got a full financial firm. We could pick any number of other options. However, if this tool was a good fit, then we'd start to coordinate what do we want to reposition into something I could put together for you. Maybe you've got an old brokerage account that you want to stop the bleeding and move (laughs) it into something that grows guaranteed. Maybe you have some money every month that you could throw in there. Maybe you've got a tax refund that just sitting in your savings account every year and whatever. So there's two, three dozen different strategies that we could probably deploy. But at some point we'd decide, hey, I can afford, I'm just gonna give you a number. Let's say it's 10,000 bucks a year. Hey, Mark, I can put away 10,000 bucks a year. At that point, I would say, all right, 10,000 would buy a million dollars of death benefit, or I could squeeze that death benefit down to 300 grand and we'll still put in the 10,000, but we're gonna buy a smaller policy. And what does that do? Well, again, I'm going to try to not stretch this metaphor too far, but let's imagine you wanted to buy a 10,000 square foot house and you saw that the mortgage was going to be, yeah, I don't know, 50 grand a year for that, 50 grand a year. And you said to yourself, okay, I could buy that 10,000 square foot house and pay 50 grand a year for it, or I could buy a 4,000 square foot house and still pay 50 grand a year for that smaller house. What will happen? Well, you'll build equity very fast. Right. Yeah. And what if in addition to throwing that 50 grand in, on occasion, you also bought more additions on that house. You built up extra bedrooms, bathrooms, finish the basement. You're doing all this with cash that you have laying around and you're just packing house on top of square footage on this house. And at some point, this square footage goes from 4,000 to 8,000 to 16,000 to 32,000. And your mortgage is still small. Much The required minimum mortgage is very small, but you're pumping so much equity into this thing and it's appreciating in the neighborhood on a much bigger house now, right? Okay, so what does all this mean? It means if you put in 10 grand and we designed it correctly, you're going to have cash value right away, kind of like you'd have equity right away in your house if you overpaid on your mortgage. There is some insurance expenses. So in the first year you might have somewhere between 6500 bucks and 8 grand or so in the first year because you're buying life insurance your death mm-hmm. benefit is whatever 300 grand or whatever that was but over time your cash value would start to exceed what you're paying into it 4 years 5 years 6 years as you start to pack that 10 grand a year into this thing it's going to be growing at 11 grand a year 12 grand a year 15 grand a year fast forward 30 grand a year 40 grand a year on your contributions of only 10,000 bucks a year. So the thing gets more efficient is the shortest answer I can give you to that very great question.
0: We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about. Serving you, our listener, at a higher level, and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes.
1: It's because of the dividends or and the interest that you're actually accumulating over time as well as on top of it, right? That's and then right. Um, now my next question is, let's say we want to use the money for purchasing a uh, real estate, right? Would there any issue or anything with the lenders or the mortgage companies that we want to work with? They might be questioning where you get this money from or will they count it as like a second mortgage because you basically borrow it from the life insurance, your own life insurance.
2: That's a very thoughtful question because you're wanting to make sure, am I still going to be an attractive borrower when it comes time to close? And the answer is yes, you will be. The insurance company is a, again, it's a non-recourse loan. And in fact, many mortgage companies favor your cash value, certainly against things like your brokerage accounts, but even against a savings account. It's more attractive to have a big, juicy life insurance policy than a savings account when it comes time to being a borrower and you're coming to the closing table or you're getting approved for a loan or whatever, because they know, again, it's a death benefit there. They can claim that if they had to. So yes, you're absolutely right. If you have an asset, like life insurance, cash value, life insurance. You can bring the cash value part of that as an asset on your balance sheet to the mortgage company as you're getting approved for that loan. And they at least will count 100 cents on the dollar, sometimes a bit more than that. Just depends, again, on whether you're doing a collateral assignment or anything like that. But no, you're exactly right. There's a a current asset value to your cash value that gets put onto the the balance sheet when you're getting approved for that loan.
1: Got it. So in terms of borrowing, just want to clarify. So we're borrowing it against our cash value, not the actual life insurance benefits, correct? That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. Okay. And then when you, in terms of borrowing it, is there any interest or anything that the life insurance Mm -hmm. will charge you?
2: Mm -hmm. Yes, it's a true loan. So there will be interest paid. Do you want the 30-second answer to that or yes. more like the three-minute answer?
1: <laughs> you pick. We have time. All right.
2: Oh, okay. I'll keep an eye on the time too. But yeah. Okay. So, I'll try to keep this brief. The loan interest is favorable against other options that are out there. So, to give you some example, if it took you four years, let's say you borrowed some money and paid it back over four years, your annual percentage rate would be about 1.9%. Oh, so, about 2%. APR. These days, that's very good. (laughs) Super good. (laughs) Yeah, super good. Now that still is interest. I'll give you a very concrete example. A gentleman who is a real estate investor, client of mine. He had a three hundred and fifty thousand dollar loan that he borrowed out, and his plan is to pay it back over five years. So he borrowed out three hundred and fifty grand. Let's just stop and think about how cool that is. He did not need to get approved for that loan. He waited about four or five business days for it to be direct deposited into his bank account. That was it, no questions asked. Okay, so he gets that three hundred fifty grand. He uses that to purchase some a multifamily syndication that he's a part of, and over the next five years, he'll pay off that loan through distributions and rent money and so forth. The total interest that he'll pay is going to be thirty eight thousand bucks over five years. It's not
1: thirty eight thousand three hundred eighty. Wow. Yep,
2: thirty eight thousand bucks spread out over five years. That's about 1.92% somewhere in that ballpark. You can check the math on that. At the same time, his policy continued to compound and grow. And he's not adding any more premium to his policy at this point. It's doing its own thing. It's just growing on its own speed at this point, which is important to realize that you can stop funding these things. You don't have to fund them forever. So the policy over that same five-year period, Selah, will grow $119,000 to about 120 grand. He only paid 38 grand of interest. So we know the word arbitrage, right? Yep. He made 120, he spent 38. Who won that scenario? Him. Yeah.
1: Yep. So you use money for free and it's growing on its own. That basically, and you're keeping the profit in between and you're buying your property. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we
2: didn't even talk about the real estate rental money or the tax advantages of the, of the multifamily. That's said over here, but just the policy itself. Correct. You're exactly right.
1: So another question that you mentioned, I wanted to ask about was you talking about, okay, at this point he stopped paying for the premium. Right. So I would assume that the money that he's putting in growing enough where it actually can pay for the premium on its own. Mm-hmm. What about what happened? Let's say somebody started this process and it's gonna take about 10 years for cash value to be able to generate enough incomes to pay its own premium. But five years in, he's unable to afford anymore.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: How would that happen? Did they stop? They cut off the premium? Like you're talking about the term insurance earlier, where you stop paying the premium, they cancel your policy. That, yep. That's what it is. Will it happen the same thing here? Well, great question.
2: Now, there are at least six answers to that question. So I'm going to try to keep it as simple as possible for our conversation. But we've done whole podcasts. We have, I have a show you mentioned at the beginning, Not Your Average Financial Podcast. Listen to episode 203, you'll get more answers than just this, but one example of what he could do. And this is one of my favorites. And I've had to do this too. When times are tough, you got to figure out what your options are. Mm-hmm. But I just love that, okay, five years in, you're going to have a considerable amount of cash value at that point in your policy. Maybe it's five figures of money. Maybe it's six figures, depends on your size of your policy, but it's going to be a chunk of money, good sized chunk of money. And whoops, we're in a tight spot. It's year five. Something's changed. We're in a tight spot. Our financials financials are, are in a bad spot. Where could we possibly come up with some money to pay that premium? Oh, yeah. We can borrow from our policy to pay for the premium in year five or year six or oh. whenever. And oh, wow. We can also pull wow. some money out to cover our groceries if we're in a really tight spot, right? I've had to do that in the early years of our business when times were really tough and we were still paying off the student loans. Sure, I'll borrow from the policy to cover those eventualities, those emergency funds. And the beauty here is even if we borrow from the policy to pay for itself, the policy will continue to compound and grow as if we were paying for this thing out of pocket. Now realize there's a loan. So we'll have to someday pay that thing off. Someday if you want to see that money again, you can't borrow the same dollar twice. So it's important to be strategic about this. You don't want to just use this policy like, a, I don't know, like a credit card or something. Mm-hmm. But you can certainly use it. That's what it's there for, for these troublesome times if you get into a bad way.
1: Got it. That makes sense. That makes a lot and of I sense And I
2: can't find any mutual funds or 401ks that let you borrow against them. And then they still grow as if you never took the money and, and use it to fund itself. I still can't find a 401k that lets me do that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, no, not at all. I don't think so. And even you have to borrow from your 401k, you still have to pay it back as well. So, wow. One of the things that you mentioned in your book was a uh, late growth debt snowbank method. Mm-hmm. So can you elaborate what that means? That's how I paid off all my student loans. And uh, so before I go on, I, I do
2: want to, I feel like I, I'm compelled to at least say briefly that these insurance policies have... As we've already mentioned, it's not a Mm get-rich-quick kind of scenario. We're needing this to be a long-term financial strategy at least a couple of years before you're going to see a lot of benefit. You can certainly access the money within 30 days of starting your policy, but we're not looking for get-rich-overnight with this. The other thing I'd just quickly mention, too, is that you have to save. It's only going to be working if you can put money away. And for some people, that's a non-starter because they're not there yet. They can't save yet. So that would be kind of my, I guess, reality check before. And you've already brought up, we talked earlier that you don't want to just work with your uncle or your cousin who's got an insurance license. You really want to make sure this is a bank on yourself designed policy. I've seen folks who thought they had something like this, who got into a lot of trouble because it wasn't designed properly. Okay. So debt snowbank method. I'll come back to that. That's how I paid off my... I didn't call it that at the time. We ended up trademarking that phrase, but the concept is very simple. We follow the debt snowball method for the first third of our debt payoff. We were following Dave Ramsey's debt snowball where we would pay the minimums on all of our debts and then throw everything we could at our smallest debt or one with our biggest interest rate. But I didn't like that because I was losing all that wealth as I paid off all my debts. We've talked about the opportunity cost there. So the debt snowbank method... Starts with step one, list out all your debts and pay your minimums on all your debts. We don't want to miss any debt payments. We don't need the car repo or anything. Step two, a little different than the snowball method with the snow bank, we're going to open up a bank on yourself designed whole life policy and throw everything we can on top of those minimum debts into a policy rather than into a debt. We're going to throw our extra payments into a high cash value dividend paying whole life insurance policy. Step three, you're going to start to see your debt slowly coming down as you make your minimum payments. And you're also going to see your cash value accelerating quickly. It's going to be growing very fast. So, at some point in the not so distant future, your cash value of your policy and your debt balance will equal each other. So, we'll simply take a loan from the policy and then wipe out the debt. And really, what we've done is we've bought back our debt. We've become the banker. We bought mm-hmm. it from. Capital One. We bought it from Sally Mae. We bought it from Chase Bank or whoever your creditor was. Now you're the creditor to yourself. Right. And then in step four, the final step is to repay the loan to the policy that you control.
1: Which on is very minimal interest. And very minimal interest. Like you said, on your own time. however, mm-hmm. how much you want to pay per month. And like right now it's in a recession. You cannot put a lot of, like you cannot pay a lot, then you just put whatever. So,
2: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah, it's a beautiful thing. And the advantage there is the policy continues to grow like you never took the loan against it. So you don't have to choose anymore between saving for retirement or paying off your debt. Now you can do both at the same time. You can build this asset today and you can still borrow against it to pay off your debts and then pay yourself back on your own terms. And I just feel like if even 10% of America knew that this was a thing. Like, how would that change the credit card industry? How would that change the student loan industry? How would that change
1: everything? Yes. And as you mentioned, 10%, if 10% of American knows about this, right? So I'm possibly one of those, like 90% that don't know about it. So how come, like, none of us know about it? It's like, uh, mm-hmm. This is like a, the best kept secret.
2: Yeah. Why I, is that? I only have guesses to your question. So you could probably guess as well as I could. Wall Street doesn't want you to know this right? Do they get paid if you take money out of their stocks or 401ks and put it over here? No. No.
1: Right.
2: Insurance agents typically aren't taught this. I wasn't. And I wasn't taught this when I got my CFP. It's very rarely taught. You have to really be trained by specific mentors. Mm-hmm. And I've been blessed to be one of, trained under one of the best, Nelson mm-hmm. Nash, who started this decades ago. But I will say, it's also sort of like, a familiarity bias. You know what, what I mean by this? If you buy a red car, you'll start to notice all the other red cars. Yes. Now that you've heard me talk about this, Selah, you might start to notice this in other places. I bet you will. Yes. And I bet your audience I'm will. Pretty will. Yeah. yeah. Because it's there. And in fact, the more I stumbled into this as I got out of kind of the oh so average kind of blinders on real estate and stock market only, I started to see that more and more affluent people already had these policies. And there's a great history of American business people who've had these, which we could talk more about if you want. But most importantly, and thing that shocked me the most was that banks themselves have some of the biggest whole life policies in the world. And Bank of America, just to pick them at random, they own more cash value wealth than all of their real estate combined. Wow. It's in the hundreds of billions of dollars. Yeah. Look that uh-huh. up. Don't take my word for it. Look that up. But that's Bank of America's cash value life insurance. The cash value part is worth more than all of their real estate combined.
1: So wow. what do they know that we don't? Now I know now, and uh our audience would know as well. Mm-hmm. So and another question I want to ask, you say that it's county, right? So let's just say interest for like five percent, let's say three percent that you got paid from the insurance. And How can they guarantee such a return, especially like what happened if things are not going south, the life insurance company goes bankrupt or something like that? How Mm -hmm. can they make such a guarantee? And then what was the potential risk that they would go bankrupt?
2: Well, these are all very thoughtful questions. I can tell you're really thinking through some of the what ifs. And it's true. There's what in life is ultimately guaranteed at all, right? I mean, seriously. And you're right, at some level, depending on what sort of apocalypse we're talking about here, nothing is ultimately guaranteed at the end of all time, right? So, insurance companies have had the privilege of using the law of large numbers, what we call actuarial science for hundreds of years, thousands even. There's pensions that go back to the Roman Empire but life insurance companies in this country have provided that guarantee for since the constitution was written in this country. And and even before that in other countries, and it's very simple. You're a life insurance company and you're in the business of collecting a bunch of premium and then paying out death claims. And your job is to collect that premium and pay out the death claim and not go out of business. That's all you do. So that's a simple job. And if you're an actuary, you know that Two and a half out of 10,000 35-year-olds are going to die this year. And so you're going to price your products to reflect that reality. And even if there's a pandemic, like we just went through, Mm -hmm. they price in externalities like pandemics, recessions, high inflation, low inflation, negative interest rates. These insurance companies have priced in a lot of these potential realities and they keep a lot of their money in cash to provide that guarantee if their the rest of their general fund is not profitable for some reason because they're on the hook they're legally obligated to pay that guaranteed death benefit and that guaranteed increase of cash so it's literally just sitting over there in the insurance company's general fund the guarantee is now if the insurance company is profitable they'll throw dividends on top of that guarantee mm-hmm. but it's not unlike your mortgage on your house. If you get a 30-year mortgage, you're guaranteed to have your house paid off after you've made 360 payments. They don't have a guarantee on what your home is worth, but the contract says you, on a mathematical basis, your balance will be $0 after you've made your final mortgage payment. It's the same with the life insurance. So as far as like what would happen if an insurance company went bankrupt, that's another really smart question because insurance companies essentially have uh, no FDIC insurance. So if you want to pick one of these companies, first of all, I would greatly encourage you to only work with insurance companies that are substantially financially solvent and have A-plus ratings from multiple third parties and have, again, a record of paying a dividend, not just the guarantee, but the dividend for over a century. That's why I like to look for companies that have a century of dividend payments Without fail, right? So they've made it through the stagflation of the 1970s. They made it through 2008. They made it through this recent pandemic. And it's been business as usual, even through it. You think that if there was ever going to be a news event where all the insurance companies were going to go out of business, I would have thought... You tell me, but I would have thought that this would have been that moment. We should have been hearing the pandemic, about life insurance yes. coming. Yeah. You see what I mean? So, and yet these insurance companies that, again, the ones that I work with anyway, the ones that I would recommend for Bank on Yourself, not only did they not go out of business, but they were still kicking off profits, the same dividend rates that they were throwing off before the pandemic. That just shocks me, right? Yep. So that's solvent that they can handle something as crazy as we just went through
1: the last two, three years. Wow. So Mark, this is a great strategy. And uh, thank you so much for sharing that strategies with me and with our listeners. It's like a mind-opening. And so since you implemented this strategy, I know you paid off your student loans. And what was next after then? So you yeah. start purchasing real estate? Or can you tell us a little bit about mm-hmm. your journey?
2: Yeah, the policy itself has We've now purchased a number of these policies in my family, but that first policy was used for the debt, it was used for a medical emergency we had, it was used for a vacation, it was used for a car, then it was used, trying to think in chronological fashion, then we used it to help with some of the capital for our business. And then we used it for some real estate investing and doing some syndications. We've used it for down payments for our personal home. We've used it for a number of things. My favorite is when I can buy syndication deals or other real estate properties, rental properties, things that provide an income, because that's a great way to pay off the loan and recycle Mm -hmm. that money back into the policy. So, yeah, that's been how I've used it. But the best part of this job that I have, this business, is hearing all the creative ways our clients have been using their policies. I had a client who's he's about to retire. He just used his policy to wipe out his mortgage, and he wanted to do that. And he took a photo of his mortgage burning in his fire pit, and he bought his mortgage back from the bank. And I just thought that was really cool. I've had clients who've used it for ATM investments. I've had clients use it for mobile home park investments, storage units, storage units, All grades of multifamily, of course. Fix and flip is a big one. Buy and hold rentals, syndication deals, wholesaling, even terms deals like subject to financing and so forth. So there's just lots of ways you can use. If you've got cash, a need for cash, the policy might be a better way than just paying cash for that big purchase, whatever it might be.
1: That makes sense. Yep. So my mind is thinking right now. So like uh, there's a lot of possibility popping up. so, So don't mind me. That's awesome. So Mark, what's next for you from here?
2: Well, I just love the chance to sit down and have those one-on-one conversations with clients. I feel like I'm built for this. I love what I do. It's exciting for me. I feel like I get to kind of live vicariously through a lot of my clients and they give me great ideas for what I might do with my own personal financial story too. So it's just a privilege. I get to do this and this is what I love to do all day long. And so for me, I'd love to see I mean, wouldn't it be cool if we could make it in my lifetime, seeing not through my firm alone, but what if 10% of America got here? What if they could do something like this? What would that help us do? How could that make us more competitive in the real estate investment space? If nine out of 10 people are still begging a bank to get a loan, but you're walking in there from your policy loan cash and just paying cash at closing, you're going to get the better deal. I mean, that to me gets goosebumps on my arm, right? Just thinking about what's possible there for the folks that are willing and able to see it. So for me, next steps are just helping as many people and bringing as many people on board with this topic, but also just the more broad topic of financial agency and not just being a tennis ball floating down the financial gutter, but learning to swim upstream and have a good sense of control and belief that we have some sort of influence over our environment. We're not just being kicked around by the Wall Street gurus that love to tell us that they're the lords of finance.
1: So i talking about sitting down with other clients and all that. So if our listeners wanted to reach out to you and learn more about the strategy and like seeking your guidance, how can they do that?
2: Well, thank you. Yeah, the opportunity is out there. If you've heard something today that sounds like you would like to learn more, we can help. We sit down and have one-on-one conversations, either me or one of my colleagues would meet with you for free and just listen to what you're trying to do. And if again, if this particular strategy is not the right fit, we look at strategies that would be. But if you can imagine never having another down year ever again and your policies as they grow guaranteed, they'll hit all-time record highs every year. So the best way for you to reach out to me or my firm is
1: kickstartwithmark.com. That's kickstartwithmark, with a K, dot com. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mark. Thank you so much for coming on today and sharing all the strategy. This is mind-blowing strategy. So uh, my mind is still calculating all the possibility. So really, thank you so much, Mark. Really appreciate your time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on.
0: And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes.